we have a lot of youth who have basically become disoriented with the education system in the country. We have a lot of girls who end up in relationships that they don't want to be in because education has failed them. Yeah. Literally, the reason we have one of the youngest nations in the world is because 85% of all kids born in Uganda are born to mothers who do not have a high school education. The need for prayer for Uganda is huge. Four out of five people in Uganda are under the age of 30. Of these youth, 68% are unemployed. The mission of the Levites Academy is to empower Ugandans through transformative education, to be intellectually equipped, spiritually fruitful, vocationally capable, to participate in the building and restoration of sustainable, flourishing communities. Hi and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. It's always a pleasure, friend, to get together with you and to meet our guest. And the title of our program is Mid-South Viewpoint, which means we're in the Memphis, Mid-South area, covering views and ministries from our local area, sometimes there's connections. We have people that live in our community that have ministries in other parts of the world. And Jesus Christ told us, go and make disciples of all nations. So it's imperative that we bring to you, our listeners, even here in Memphis, stories of what God is up to around the world and how you can participate through prayer and engage these ministries and be part of this great commission that we've been called to as believers. Mm -hmm. Today, Joe Wakobi is our guest. Joe is from Uganda, and he's with a ministry called the Levites Academy as we introduce the program today. Joe, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I really appreciate that introduction because you know why? You talked about discipleship, and uh, when I moved into the Memphis area, I joined an organization called Memphis Teacher Residency, and many people in the Memphis area have given to that program. That's the program that helped educate me. So they have been participating in discipleship all along for me to be able to go back to Uganda and continue with that. How cool is that? That's the connection. That's yes. a wonderful. I mean, here we yes. are, a local ministry, MTR, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, yes. which many of our friends listening are familiar with, mm -hmm. Memphis Teacher Residency. What an incredible work, great commission work, mm -hmm. and how you're connected through them and now being sent out to go yes. back to yes. your homeland of yes. Uganda. How long have you been living here in America? So I moved to the United States 12 years ago. I first of all stayed in Chicago and went to school at Moody Bible Institute. In my last year of Moody, I had about the school program in Memphis called the Memphis Teacher Residency that would train you as a teacher and place you in a high-need school So uh, and at the end give you a degree, uh, a master's degree. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for, a Christian program. I came to Memphis <laughs> in 2013. I thought I wouldn't stay, but here I am. Here you are. <laughs> and here you are with Bot Radio today. Yes, yes. Oh, I yes. love this. So while in Chicago and at Moody, now, did you ever cross paths with a, a pastor by the name of Will Franco? Will Franco, yes. <laughs> Actually, he was leaving Moody right when I was joining, because I think when I talked to him, he told me that he left Moody in 2009. <laughs> That's when I joined Moody. Of course, you know he's now the pastor here in Memphis at High Point Church. Yes, and we discovered him um, during COVID. 
And so my family and I have actually been attending High Point. Okay, I did not realize that. Okay, <laughs> yes. fantastic. Yes. What brought you to the United States originally? What were the circumstances that led up to that? Maybe before we go there, Joe, why don't you tell us a little about the backstory of the Wacobi family, your heritage, uh, what your family did, and what was life like growing up for you in Uganda? Yeah, um, that's a beautiful question because actually my name, uh, when you travel to Uganda, my name is from a specific region, but I don't belong to that region. So there's a really cool story of how I got that name. My grandfather was originally from the border area between Kenya and Uganda. He traveled, as a kid, he traveled to the central region because that's where work was. But before even traveling to that area, his parents passed away, both of them. So he essentially grew up as an orphan. And uh, his eldest sister, who got married in the Jinja area, which is the eastern area, part of Uganda, took him with him as a little kid because there was no one to take care of him. And because he was brought to this family as a little kid, he ended up getting the name of the man that the sister married. And that's why he became a Wakavi. Out of respect. Yes, out of respect. So he gets the name. Then when he grows older, he tries to move back to the region where he was born to try and claim his father's property because his father had a ton of property. But the brothers of his father are like, no, you don't have any inheritance here anymore. Because there was no blood yes. connection. Yes. They essentially wanted to get rid of him. So he ran back, never went back to that region and settled in the central area of Uganda but with a name that also comes from an eastern part of Uganda. So there's always been this confusion about me. And when people ask me in Uganda, because everything is tribal, what is your tribe? I'm like, I'm the only true Ugandan here because <laughs> I don't subscribe to any tribes. <laughs> Anyways, I grew up in the central part of my country, my childhood. And this was post Idi Amin era. Yes, yes. So. Just like you, I kept hearing stories about Idi Amin, but I never really experienced it. Anyways, my parents divorced when I was two years old. And um, as a result of that, I think my dad just left church. I come from an area that is half Muslim, half Christians. But my dad loved a good education. And the only good school at the time in the area I grew up was a Christian school. And that's where I attended school. So that's really my upbringing. Uh, it's a small town, very agricultural, but it is also in between two of the biggest cities in the country. What a story. Yes. So you're living life in Uganda, and you decide, hey, I think I want to go to the U.S. I mean, what were the circumstances? So uh, <laughs> the reason I, I wanted to come to the United States is actually... I started working with an organization called uh, BSF International. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Bible Study Fellowship yes. International. Yes. Yes. So while working there, I was a children's leader. But this was in the city. This is after I had grown up and, and, and started working in the city. BSF is very funny in my country because it is only the rich and the powerful that attend BSF International. So... Because I was working with the kids there, I was like, the kids in my village where I grew up also need this stuff. 
I better go back and try to train them. So I started to run a VBS every weekend. I would drive uh, or get in a taxi, get into my village and train those kids every weekend. And I was training these kids in scripture and giving them some scholastic materials. I realized that it's not only kids from the Christian homes that came to this. It is literally kids from Muslim homes that came to this as well. Mind you, this is outside. We used, It was open evangelism. Any shed that we got, because it is hot all the time, is where we sat and we listened to the gospel. So it is well there that God impressed on my heart, a heart for a Christian education. Because I was like, imagine what it would look like if a Christian teacher stands in front of kids for eight hours a day, every day. And I was like, God, I just want to go and train in discipleship and evangelism and education, then come back and start a school. And God opened the doors for me to come to Moody. Thereafter, I came to Memphis Teacher Residency. Oh, what a beautiful story, yes. Joe. You talked about the hardship in your parents and the divorce. I know it's always tough. My parents divorced when I was young. Mm-hmm. It's always tough on family. It's not God's ideal, of course. Mm-hmm. But the first time you heard the gospel, Jesus' invitation was for you to follow him. Yes. How old were you? Like I mentioned, my dad valued education. And he took me to the only Christian school. Christian school. So, was it the Christian area. school that you came to Christ? So, it is at that Christian school that I got the gospel. I lit- it was a very charismatic school. Literally, if you failed your math test, it was because of the devil. So, at a very young age, I learned to fast, to pray, uh, to do everything. There is to do when it comes to living a Christian life. But I didn't internalize who God was because it was more out of duty, what we used to do. It's like a gospel do instead of a gospel done. Yes. And we've been talking a lot about that at our church lately, Mm -hmm. that what Christ has done for us, we Mm -hmm. live in light of what Christ has done for us, yes. not in order to receive salvation for good works, because we can never do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's essentially what happened. I used to leave, I used to do everything, but there was really no deeper understanding of who Christ was. The other influence, I, sh- I must say, was my grandfather. My grandfather, he died at a very old age. This is what I remember of him. Every time I visited him, he was reading his Bible. And I remember asking him one time, Grandfather, you read the Bible so much. What have you seen God doing in your life? And he's like, God has made me see up to my fourth generation. My grandfather had a ton of grandkids all the way to his fourth generation. And me seeing God being faithful in my grandfather's life and the influence that I got from a young age helped me point me to God. So when I moved away from this elementary school, Christian school that my father sent me to, I went to uh, a middle school and high school. And it is there that I actually internalized who God was because I realized that there was something missing about the way people were living. And there was something missing about the way I was living at this new school. And so I remember this one day, I was in a single and only boys' school. This one day we had a dance 
after the dance, school dance, I was like, I don't think this is right. And the Lord convicted me. The next day was a Sunday. I literally went to church, and I don't remember what the gospel was about that day, but I was like, I want to commit my life to Christ. Yes. The story, <laughs> as I say, everything is history. And I thank God for that day that I made my commitment to Him. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. What are the specific needs of the community where the students and their families live in right now that you minister through the Levites Academy? The biggest need right now is prayer, the need for discipleship in the community. We happen to work in one of the most beautiful areas, but it is one of the darkest areas when it comes to the gospel because people in that area are so driven by witchcraft. That's a huge, huge need. The gospel and discipleship is a huge need in the area. The other need that we have is kids to be trained to learn to do work for themselves because there is a huge dependency. Yeah, People think that help is going to come from somewhere else instead of appreciating the value and the resources that they have and, in the and community. And that's really, Joe, the, this new model you have through the Levites Academy yes. that's being offered, this new yes. model that's administered through the Levites Academy, yes. it's designed to meet these specific needs. Yes, yes. And I want to say, having lived in America for 12 years, having seen the education system, both in Uganda and here, don't get me wrong, there are a bunch of organizations that are building schools. But if we're just wanting to build a a typical school, we would be in Uganda doing it. But we don't want that typical school because the education system in the country has failed everyone. We have an education system that is essentially obsolete, where emphasis is on rote memorization and there is no application. How does the knowledge that you learn in class translate into the daily life? Because if there was, we wouldn't have 64% unemployment. I understand the highest in all of Africa. Yes, yes. That's how sad our education system is. And so we want to change the status quo. Okay, part of your model is to be Mm self-sustaining. What specific ways are you moving in that direction? I know that there's agricultural, because you mentioned this beautiful land. Mm -hmm. It's quite fertile Mm -hmm. for agriculture, Mm -hmm. farming. Mm -hmm. That's part of the the self-sustaining part of this model. Yes. We want for the mathematics that kids learn in class, for example, to translate into how does that measure up when it comes to maybe measuring angles in welding? How does that measure up in an accounting class? How does that measure up or translate in kids starting their own businesses? That's really the model we want to to make sure that whatever we teach can translate into some tangible activity. If you have traveled to Africa, you know that we have a ton of motorcycles. They are literally everywhere because it is one of the major means of transportation. So if a kid is trained to repair a motorcycle, they are definitely going to find employment. We want to make sure that learning that they do in class translates into the work that they can do because they are not going to run around trying to find employment. Yes. It is readily available Very for Very practical. Them. Yes. The plumbing, 
and of course agriculture. That's why we bought a ton of land and Lord willing, we would love to buy more land. We want the land to be able to be, number one, a way for us to be self-sustaining, to yes. grow our own food, but also to show the communities around us that this is how you can actually practically grow stuff that you can eat, but you can also grow it in an economical way or a better way of yes, farming. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I think this is an important thing for our listeners to understand as we paint this picture of life, what it's like. Students in the area and neighboring communities have to walk up to two and a half hours each way to get to the nearest high school, and the closest medical facility is seven miles away. Yes. And I want that to sink into our listeners to think yes. about that. Yes. We get in our cars and drop our kids off and usually within a couple mile radius to school, but seven miles away having the closest facility when you're the main mode of transportation is bicycle mm-hmm. and these motorbikes you're talking about. Yes. This is actually deeper in the village where motorcycles are even not as readily available. You will wait up to an hour or two before you see a motorcycle. Now, when it comes to the medical needs, is there a medical facility connected with the Levites Academy? So that is something that we eventually want to do. Our goal is big for this community. Is your goal, is it actually functioning right now, or is this is what you're projecting, this is what you're wanting to do? So right now, that we have a school that is being constructed. It is not yet complete. We still need money to finish it. But once the school is there, we have also been able to drill a well on the property. So communities, because water is hard to come by, with the little resources that we have gotten, we have been able to at least introduce water, introducing sustainable agriculture, and trying to teach the community what that means. And we are trying to build a school. And later on, we are going to have to provide medical care. In addition to the agriculture, raising livestock such as goats and pigs. Yes. I think there was a recent little birth of some piglets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually just got a call that one of our cows, we also bought cows. One of our cows is, is ready to mate and hopefully within the next nine months we'll welcome a young calf. That will mean that uh, the milk we get will help us continue to be self-sustaining. Yes. One of the problems, really, I think the Western church has caused for many things third world countries is continual charity. That can be a detriment instead of a help. We think we're doing things wonderful in the name of Jesus, Mm -hmm. which actually becomes a trap for Mm -hmm. many. Mm -hmm. Uh, What have been some of the ill effects of continual charity and the impact on this particular community? So maybe not this specific community, but the larger community around. I told you I grew up in a Christian school. That Christian school was sponsored by Westerners. And so, to be honest with you, what that did for me was, and many of the people that I grew up with, was it created a heart of dependence, thinking that our Savior is always going to be someone from the West. I have had a chance to visit many ministries. Is that why you see many believers that have been recipients of Western presentation of the gospel, uh, you see them in three-piece suits and ties? That's not their normal culture. Are they doing that out of respect because they feel like that's the way their church is supposed to? I've always wondered that. You know, you're in the deep part of Africa and you're seeing people wear three-piece suits. Yeah. uh, Is that the way it would be normally? That's that's a story of another day because there's also something we can't just blame uh, Christianity. There's also colonialism because 
when the British moved to any region that they moved to, they required assimilation. And part of the wearing of the three-piece suit is as a result of the assimilation. You want to be like the people that colonized you. But um, to my point, we do have a dependence issue, especially when it comes to the gospel. We have failed to appreciate what we have as Africans. We have failed to appreciate what is valuable among us. And so we continually look out for who is going to bring the help. That's why it has been very, very difficult for me to start this because part of me is like, how am I preaching self-sustenance and yet looking for people to help me establish this? So there's been continually this conflict within me. But what my wife, because my wife is from here, what my wife has continually encouraged me with is there are people out there that are willing to pray with you. There are people that are looking at the difference in the kind of approach that you are bringing to the community because it's not a severe mentality. But I want to empower the people within my community to be able to see that God can actually live through them abundantly and we can harness these literal resources that God has given us to become who God wants us to be. Joe, where's the balance between addressing the educational needs to the spiritual needs of the human heart? We've been talking about this. No doubt having quality educational opportunities can change the trajectory of these students. And as you and I both know, but without Christ, these changes can never address the root cause that the community troubles have. Yeah, and to answer that question, I just think back to my upbringing, to my elementary school, because it was a private Christian school. I went to school with some of the the richest kids in my area and some of the smartest kids in my area. And I have seen their lives as we have grown up. And to be honest with you, many of them are in jail. Not because they were not smart, but because they didn't know the Lord. And I come to think about one person here in the United States, Martin Luther King. He said, knowledge without faithfulness is flawed. Some of the smartest people in America are in jail today. It's not because they are not smart, but it is because their hearts are wicked. And so when you talk about the connection between education and the gospel, we are not out there to train people that are going to be great lawyers but are going to go to hell. No, that is not meeting our purpose as Christ followers. Our purpose as Christ followers is to make disciples. And so those disciples need to be empowered first to understand who God is. Then they know how to serve him best because you are not going to know how to serve your community the best way when you don't know who is supreme in your community. And God is the supreme being in each and every community. So when we train these individuals, and it really emanates from our values, I wouldn't be doing justice. I wouldn't be fulfilling my great commission if I started a school that doesn't emphasize on discipleship. When I'm a Christ follower, Christ, first of all, first and foremost, calls me to make disciples. And so spiritual formation, discipleship, needs to be embedded in everything that I do. So I strongly believe that any education system that is going to work has to be an education system that embeds, that puts Christ 
our Lord as the Savior at the top. Otherwise, we are going to continue having the same kind of politicians, the same kind of accountants, the same kind of lawyers, the same kind of doctors who are crooked. But if these individuals are grounded in Scripture from a young age, are discipled, these are the men and women who are going to forever change this world. These are the men and women who are going to bring the transformation that is needed, not just politically, but also spiritually. Amen. Yes. God bless you, my friend. Yes. Okay, how can our listeners discover more about the Levites Academy in ways they can partner with you? Our biggest need is prayer. We really need a lot of prayer. This vision is overwhelming to us. We are trying to embark on a vision on something that has not been done. Because it is easy for you to go and start a building and begin teaching kids. But here we are looking at translating what happens in the classroom into daily lives. We have a lot of youth who have basically become disoriented with the education system in the country. We have a lot of girls who end up in relationships that they don't want to be in because education has failed them. Literally, the reason we have one of the youngest nations in the world is because 85% of all kids born in Uganda are born to mothers who do not have a high school education. The need for prayer for Uganda is huge. So if you can pray for us on a daily basis, that would be great. But also, this project that we are embarking on is a project that is a capital-intensive project. Literally, it is not just evangelism that we are going to go in the village and evangelize. That would be a low-budget project. But we have embarked on a project that requires some initial capital to construct these buildings, to create welding, mechanics, repair shops. And so would it be best to go to the website to call you directly to have you come speak to groups or churches? Or what should folks do? Please do all the three things. Go to our website become a prayer partner, invite me to your church. I am happy to come and talk with you. Give us a call. We are happy to talk to you. How do we call you? My number is 586, that's the area code, 944-1010. And the website? And the website is levitesacademy.org. Okay, God bless you. Yes. Joe Wakobi. Thank you so much for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom, for your people in Uganda. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you to all the people that are listening to this broadcast and that have supported this broadcast and the people in the Mid-South that have actually been discipling me or contributing to my discipleship without you knowing. Yes. That's wonderful. Yes. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.